Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Okay, remember what we've learned so far. You go, what was that? We were introduced to our second king by the name of Belshazzar, okay? Not Belteshazzar, that's the name they gave Daniel. This guy's name is Belshazzar, right? Belshazzar. If you recall, now here's what you need to know, okay? And you need to mark this in your Bible or somewhere you're taking note. He was the grandson or the great-grandson, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? The problem that he had was... Basically, he never learned from great-granddad. He never learned from Nebuchadnezzar. He never learned from Nebuchadnezzar's prideful mistakes. As a matter of fact, in your scriptures, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 5.22 in the New King James Version, he says, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. Okay? So he already says, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. You knew all of this. You, you, how many times, Belshazzar, did you, did you rock on grandpa's knee? Did, did he tell you the stories of what happened and how he was foolish? And, 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 and there was so much. And so last week, we actually talked about a night of revelation, right? The Lord comes up. And um, and we gave it this subtitle. You ready? Learning from someone else's mistakes. That was our subtitle. Learning from someone else's mistakes. Now, you remember the quote from Otto von Bismarck. I like to say that. Otto von Bismarck. Okay? He said this. A fool learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. That was Otto. Otto says this. A fool learns from his own mistakes. Now, here's what you need to know. I'm not negating the fact that we learn more from our failures than we do our successes. I mean, we learn more from failing than we do actually succeeding. But I'm telling you this, we can actually learn we can actually learn from the mistakes of others. We can learn mistakes. Now, it's been said that a wise man learns from his mistakes. But an even wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, as Paul writes to them, chapter 10, verse 11, you can jot this down. It said, all these things happen to them as examples for others. Who are the others? That would be us. And they were written down for us. For we live in a time when the end is about to come. So Paul writing to the Corinthians says, listen, the things you're learning in God's word, they're for you. These people made mistakes so that you can learn from their mistakes. That's what they were written. They were written as examples. Why? Because when you read the word of God, sometimes you're like, oh, hey, did you see what they did? I would never do that. Are you kidding me? They're crazy. And they they did all kinds of stuff. And, 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 And really what it's for is so that you and I wouldn't make the same mistakes. I wonder, in our lives, how important it is that we learn from the people of the Bible so we don't stumble like they did. We don't make the same mistakes. That's so important. That's why the Word of God is alive. So we come to our study tonight. Remember, this chapter, chapter 5, is broken down into three sections. We studied the first nine verses in a night of excess. This was a night of partying. This was a night of drunkenness and hedonism. We saw... Belshazzar, go for it. Then last week, we saw a night of revelation. And basically, I put from drunk to sober, because his whole continence changed. We'll look at that in a minute. And the third part is just the last two verses. It's the night of judgment. The night of judgment. So tonight, let's just cover the the two verses. We're going to say goodbye to Belshazzar, for judgment has come in his kingdom. Now, remember this. He's going to resurrect, if you will, in chapter 7. But remember, chapters uh, 7 and 8 should have been come before chapter 5. So we'll make that distinction when we get there. But tonight, we're saying adios to Belshazzar. So before we say goodbye to him, let me remind you kind of what's going on in the whole scene. Belshazzar, okay, a very prideful but foolish king, is busy feasting and partying with his nobles. He has his wives. He has his concubines. And while all this is going out, guess what's happening? The armies of the Medo-Persian are right outside the gate. They're getting ready to attack. Hey, Belshazzar, yeah? Hey, you're you're under siege. You're surrounded. Eh, Let's just party. I don't care. 
what's going on? You see, he's not worried or afraid. You see, he's busy having a party and he's having a good time. And, and, and basically, he does something so foolish, so foolish, he, in order to show off to the thousand people that he invited, in order to look good, in order to walk in pride, in order to go, hey, I'm not afraid of anybody. I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do. In order to show off, do you remember what he did? He takes the vessels that were taken from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar brought, and he says, bring those out. Let's drink from them. And he pours wine, and they start feasting. Now, remember, this was very foolish. You go, Pastor, why? Well, it's very foolish for several reasons. Why? Well, number one, here's what was going on. He was very foolish. He's drinking, he's partying, but he's not worried. And you go, why wasn't he worried? Well, remember, he was putting trust in the walls around Babylon. He was putting trust in that. You go, why would he do that? Well, they were 17 miles long, 22 feet thick, 90 feet high, and the tower guards was another 100 feet high. And the gates were made of bronze and the system of inner and outer walls, and then they dug a moat around it, so the city was very secure. Can you imagine crossing a moat full of crocodiles or alligators, whatever it might be. Then you can't get up into the wall. It's so thick. How are you going to do this? So Belshazzar's like, dude, seriously? We got this. No problem. Now, here's the application. You ready? Belshazzar was trusting in external things that only brought temporary peace. You go, Ben, why do you say temporary peace? Because tonight we see that what? That he gets killed. There's a way. But right now, he's like, yeah, don't worry about it, man. We're all good. And, and, and I think about that, and I'm like, isn't that the heart of men? When you really think about it, you go, what's that? Many times, you and I, the mankind, the human race, when we don't have the peace of God in our hearts, we will often look for external things to fill that void. That's the way of life. Well, I don't, hey, well, hey, you know, and, 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 and a lot of people do the same thing. They trust in external things that fill a void, but that doesn't bring the peace of God. It doesn't bring the peace of God. A lot of people trust in a relationship with a spouse without bringing peace from God. Oh, well, if I only, and, and, and here's the point, only a, now listen to me, this is so key, only a real relationship with Jesus brings internal peace. Only a real relationship. We need to check our hearts from time to time and say, Lord, how is it with us? Do I have this real, intimate, wonderful, God-fearing, spirit-filled relationship with you? How's my prayer life? Do I pray like I'm coming to my Abba, or do I pray like I'm coming to the principal of the school? I'm in trouble. Oh my goodness, Lord. What kind of relationship do we have? Do you have that internal peace? And see, Belshazzar, Belshazzar is he's, he's basically putting his trust in the walls, and we do the same thing. Oh, no, no, not that we have a wall around Lubbock. You understand the metaphor. We, but we trust in other things that we're hoping to bring peace, and it's only the peace of God that's going to bring that eternal peace in our hearts. And we see that. You go, well, Ben, why else? What, what else is going on in it? Well, number two, think about this. He's throwing the party of his life while the enemy is right outside the city. I, I want let, let, Guys, let that sink in. He he's basically doesn't care. He's out dancing. He's drunk. He's trying to impress all of his friends, but the enemy who wants to kill him are right outside the wall. You go, okay, I, I get that, Ben. What's that? Well, here's what I want you to remember. Most kings would be engaged, ready for battle they wouldn't be throwing a party. You understand that. Wait a minute. High intelligence tells us we've got enemy and four. Okay, get, rally the troops, man. Let's go. Yeah, but don't worry. The walls, I'm not worried about the walls. I just want to be ready for the battle. Come on. And he would not, not Belshazzar. You see, he's not even concerned about the warfare going around him. 
Can I, add, can I tell you this? I think, and it seems like, that's what's happening in our day and age right now. You go, what do you mean? The world is crumbling faster than ever before. The world news is amazing to watch. It's happening at biblical proportions, and it makes me sad to say that the people of the world, the people that we care about, are like Belshazzar. They're dancing, they're partying. They don't even have a clue what's going on. They should be engaged, they should be engaged, ready for the Lord's return, and yet many are disengaged. They have been, if you will, um, they've been fancied at the party and they're basically asleep. Do you know what's going on in the world today? Do you realize? You go, well, I, I heard something in the news. I heard that banks are, are, are collapsing, that, that there's no money. Yes, exactly. That has to happen biblically so that there's one world currency. Okay, there's gotta, all of this has gotta take place. So when you wake up and you go, oh, well, this bank in the Pacific in California, and I don't, what about my money? You know, it's gotta happen, but what it is, is the Lord is trying to warn his people, get ready. I'm coming back soon. Get ready. Don't, you're, you're, you should be engaged, ready for battle. When you think about, when you think about the war in Ukraine, when you think about Russia, when you think about even what happened today with the Russia uh, shooting down one of our, our, our drone planes and, and, and going over to China saying, hey, look what we did for you. We, we got your back, bro. And, and so all this coalition is starting to heat up. You automatically think, Ezekiel 38 and 39, this is about to go down. And I think about all of this, and, in, and, and, and from just even from a prophetic set, I can't tell you how deep we're in, but I know what it does is I look up every morning and say, it's close. It's close. And what I would tell you is that it's not, this is not the time to be playing around. This is not the time to be playing chair. This is not the time to be partying. This is not the time to be disengaged of what's going on in the world. And yet I see many people, many people who claim to be Christians go, eh, we've always had trouble in the Middle East. That's, that's, you're right. That's nothing new. But it's intense. And, it's, and, and not only that, but everything else is lining up. Everything else. And what that should do to your heart, church, listen to me, what that should do to your heart is get it, it should pitter-patter and get it ready for the return of Jesus. It should get us to the place where we go, listen, I need to repent of my sins and I need to follow God with all of my heart. That's what it should do. If people really believed the Lord Jesus was coming back soon, well, pastor, that's it, time out. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Listen, if you knew, you, could, you know when clouds are coming in, you know when it's going to rain. You, hey, look at those clouds. Look, those are coming over. You know that you can. You, you need to do something. You can tell, and that's what Jesus is doing. Think about this. Let me just give you just a minute. Think about the weather patterns. Are they not wonky these days? You realize that we're supposed to be expecting snow this weekend in the middle of March. You go, well, that happens. No, the weather patterns are wonky, and you go, ah. I don't buy that. You see, that's the point. Everybody is disengaged. They're not looking and going. Wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe the Lord is trying to tell me something. And you'll, you go, well, what should I do? Well, to be honest with you, what you should do is we should get on our knees and say, Lord, help me, I want to draw closer to you. Help me to see those things that are pleasing to you. Help me to see that you're ready to come back. Help me not to be distracted with other things and focused on you. That's what we should do. That's what Belshazzar should have done. Wait a minute, wait a minute, there's enemies, let's get ready. Come on, let's go. Can you imagine, can you imagine any church at this day and age partying up instead of proclaiming the truth? 
Can you imagine any church that just going, hey, let's just, you know, it's okay. And, and hey, well, let's talk prophecy. Oh, no, I don't want to talk prophecy. I don't want to talk. No, 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 no. You, you guys are swell. You're just wonderful people. Let's talk about that. Let me tell you a story. You know, no, let's talk biblically. Because the enemy's outside the door. And he wants to, he wants to kill us. The third thing he does, and I find very interesting, Belshazzar, yeah? He uses the temple vessels to show off and rouse morale in the face of the Persian enemies, right? The Persian armies. But the problem was is these vessels were dedicated to worship of Jehovah. Now, let me just say this. No one in the party was going, hey, Bell, hey, Bell. They called him Bell at the party. Hey, Bell, hey, hey, why don't you? You know, nobody was asking him to do anything that he wouldn't. He was just prideful. Okay, none of his wives are going, oh, Bill, why don't you bring out the vessels? But in his pride, he said, hey, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you. I'm not afraid. Let's go. Watch what I'm going to do. And he uses them to make toasts to his gods, little g gods. It's idol worship. And that was a foolish mistake. But one thing that I want to take home tonight is the Bible says to you and me, we're, we are his vessels of God. You're his vessel. Dedicated for one thing. You go, what's that? The worship of God. In other words, guys, we were created to worship God. We were created to honor God. And that's so, so important. And so, you've got to remember, you are a vessel separated and created to honor God. And that's what you're here for. You're here to honor God. Well, now the Bible says in Daniel chapter 5, 5 and 6, he says, In the same hour, the fingers of a man had appeared and wrote opposite of the lampstand on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote, and the king's countenance changed. And his thoughts troubled him. And so the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. So what would you call this? If you're not afraid to write in your Bible, this is a God encounter. This is a God. God shows up, right? While the party was in full progress, man, drinking, carousing, shouting praises to the gods of Babylon, God Elohim himself shows up. And I love this. Why? Because this is the first time we see God crash a party. Here he comes. Here he comes. So suddenly there appear some fingers and they begin to write on the wall. Now again, I just, listen, I just think of this in, in, in a crazy way because I could imagine, I could imagine you've had so much wine, you're probably hallucinating anyway. You're probably seeing things or you're true. You're so out of it. All of a sudden you see this but this is no, this is no, hey, do you see that? I see that. Wow, this is crazy. Do you see the fingers? I see, whoa, dude. And, and so all of a sudden, I mean, this is what's going on. But it's not, you see, it's not that he's drunk, but it's that God has shown up. And his hand appears, and he begins to write on the wall. But it so freaks Belshazzar out that the Bible says that his countenance changed. You can imagine he probably went from a smile to a, an afraid look, a scared look. He probably went from drunk to sober. He sobered up real quick. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Bible says his, his thoughts troubled him. What do you think he was thinking? What in the world? What could this be? What does it mean? I don't understand. You see, but he does understand. Because he's heard the stories from Grandpa. He's heard the stories. He's, and, and it wasn't only grandpa, but can you imagine growing up in Babylon? Many people heard the stories. Hey, do you remember grandpa? You remember your great grandpa? Oh, was that when he was out like a beast eating grass and his nails grew long and his beard? Yeah. And then he looked up one day and he, he confessed the Lord God and then he was restored to his right mind and the kingdom was given back to him. Yeah, that was him. God showed up that day, didn't he? Yeah, God showed up. And so he knew that. But he was so scared at this time that his joints, guys, of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked together. He was very, very, very frightened. 
he was very frightened. And so last week we found out what, what was written on the wall. Look at verse 24. The fingers of the hand were sent for him, and this is the writing. And the inscription was written, many, many, tekli upharsin. In verse 26 it says, this is the interpretation of the word. Many means God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have weighed in the balance and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Mede and the Persians. Okay? So, this is what he says. Yay, guys, this is the, this is, what, anybody know what it is? Daniel comes in, he's like, oh boy. He says, um, do you know what that means? He means, yeah, listen. Bell? Yeah. Um, mm, how do I tell you this? I'm not going to beat around the bush. God has numbered your kingdom and he's finished it. He's numbered your days. You're done. What? Um, Tekel, you've been weighed into balances and listen, you've, you've been found, you know what a balance is, right? You, you're found wanting. You, you don't have enough, you have no, you don't have any street cred anymore. And by the way, the Mede and Persians are coming in, they're going to take your kingdom. That's what's written. That's what, that's what's written. That's what's written. Okay. So tonight, let's look at what, let's look at the judgment. Let's look at the night of judgment. So we pick up in verse 30, and then it says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Now, here's what I want you to underline. I want you to underline the fact that it said that very night. That very night. You go, why? Because I want you to remember that the word was fulfilled just as Daniel said. That very night. And you go, well, why do I have to underline this? Or why does this, what does this mean anything to me? Here's why. Because I want you to take home tonight that God's Word, God's Word is always reliable and true. You can stand on it. You can take it to the bank. God's Word is true. God's Word is true. Daniel said, hey, listen, tonight, you're done. And that night, he was done. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. That just must have been, that, that must have been circumstance or happenstance. No, God's Word is true. Now, here's what I want you to take home. When God says, if His Word is true then we should believe it. And when we believe it, we should walk in it. You see, our belief system always dictates our behavior. What, how you behave is what you believe. And what you really believe is if you go, man, this is the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, all his promises are amen and true, then we should walk in that. We should walk in that belief system. Our walks... Church, listen to me. Our walks should never be, oh man, this is so good. Oh man, I'm really sure. Oh, this is really good. Oh man. Up and down. That's how we need to believe that the word of God is true. Daniel said, Belshazzar, tonight, you're done. You're done. And that very night, the Bible tells us, King of Chaldeans was slain, King of Babylon, right? So, I want you to picture this. This is a horrible way to end a party, <laughs> you know? It's not this like, okay, everybody go home, let's all clean up, and, and it, this, I mean, they come in. And the night started out with dancing. The night started out with music, wine. We're having a great time. We're not worried about them. The wall will keep them out. And now we see a night of judgment. A very pride-filled king. The reason Belshazzar ended up right here, church, listen to me, is he didn't heed the warnings and the consequences that his great-grandfather went through. He didn't. He didn't heed the warnings. Let me take you back on a little journey. Back in the book of Genesis, the world was corrupt. It was horrible, much like today. The Bible says that in the last days will be like in the days of Noah. Can you imagine the days of Noah? Noah, God calls Noah, says, hey Noah, listen, I need you, I want you to build an ark because I'm about to bring judgment on the world, the whole world. It's going to be a global flood. But you're Here's what I want you to do. I want, to build, I want you to build this ark so much that we'll be able to, you'll be able to repopulate the earth with the animal-wise, but anyone else who wants to be saved can be saved. 
God's heart is for them to be saved. The Bible doesn't say that, but you know God's heart is for people to be saved. So Noah starts going out on his journey. Hey, listen, it's about to flood where everybody's going to drown. Why don't you help me build the ark and then you could get on the ark? And they were much like Belshazzar's party. Nah, I'm good. You're silly. We haven't seen rain in whatever. God's not going to flood the earth. That's not God. Hey, wait a minute. God is love. He's not going to do that. No, no, no. Listen to me. Um, judgment is coming. He's going to do this. Why don't you help me? Let's get on the ark. Get on the ark. Even when it was built, guys, however long it took, 70, 80, 90, some suppose 120, however long it took for him to build that ark, he's probably still telling people, would you please get in? Listen, it's not too late. Get in. The, the flood is coming. Where many people were like this. No, no, it's good. I don't feel a drop at all. No, I, we're, that's fine. Can you imagine the conversations in people's house? That Noah, he's nuts. I think he said too much of that sacramental lie. I think he's done. He's, what are you talking about? It's the flood. Are you kidding me? And not only that, but he spent all his resources on this big boat. Are you kidding me? No, he's nuts. He's nuts. And Noah was nuts until when? Until it started to rain. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. You see, probably the whole world was partying and judgment was coming. Now let me fast forward to today. Think about today. The whole world is partying. That's how their mindset is. And judgment is coming. The Lord's going to go, hey, listen, I'm coming back. And I'm hoping, I have my arms open wide and I'm wanting people to get saved. And I'm really wanting them to get saved. And, 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 but one day, one day you're going to hear a trumpet. And I don't know if it's going to be an audible trumpet, it's going to be a trumpet in your spirit, but you're going to see that and it's going to be like, this is it. And in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be out of here. And you go, yes, I'm so excited. Amen? But here's what breaks our heart. It's the people that will be left behind. It's the people that ridicule us. It's the people that scoff us. It's the people that go, ah, I don't know. Jesus is good for you. That's cool. I'm glad you found something. But you know, Friday night's coming. And so I've got to do my thing. You know, I've got to do my thing. Yeah, you know, maybe when I get older, I'll, I'll give my life to the Lord. Maybe when I get older, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll do, I'll do something. See, that very night, God's word is true. God's word is true. Can I, let me encourage you. Let me exhort you to something, church. Listen to me. Don't let anyone dissuade you from the truth in God's word. Well, listen, I've read the Bible. There's no such thing as a rapture. The word rapture is not even the Bible. You know, don't. Stay focused. Our hope is in him. He's coming back for us. He's coming back for us. Belshazzar. He's dead. Why? Well, again, Daniel 5.22. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. Guys, look at the screen. It says, But you are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, and yet you have not humbled yourself. You've not humbled yourself. Guys, Belshazzar knew, and he didn't humble himself. He knew. Does that not bug you from time to time when you know something and you still make the same mistake? Oh, I knew it. Why did I do this again? And whatever it might be, it may be something as silly as your golf swing. Oh, I knew that my stance was wrong or I knew I had the grit. Oh, I practiced this. Ah, oh, that's why my ball is way all over there. That might be something as silly as that. But think about this. He knew... He knew that judgment would come if he followed in the prideful ways of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want you to think about this, guys. Put on your thinking caps, okay? Because according to Isaiah and according to Jeremiah, they predicted this would happen 200 years before it happened. So they prophesied about this. Now, note something interesting. I'm going to draw your attention to Isaiah 44, 
verse 28. Isaiah 44, 28 says this, When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, he will say, restore the temple. Now, jump over to 45, verse 1. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand will empower him. Before him, mighty kings will paralyzed in fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down the gates of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant. Israel is my chosen. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for the battle, though you, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know that there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I create light and make darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. That's Isaiah. Hold on that to your memory. Jeremiah 51, 57 and 58, he says this in the book of Jeremiah, I will make her officials and wise men drunk along her captains, officers, and warriors. They will fall asleep and never wake up again, says the, says the king, whose name is the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The thick walls of Babylon will be leveled to the ground and her massive gates will be burned. The builders of many lands have worked in vain, for their work will be destroyed by fire. Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied 200 years exactly what was going to happen this night. And you go, well, Ben, how did it happen? How did it happen? See, the walls were super thick and high. Well, according to a historian, it says this, The ancient Greek historian Herodotus relates that the Persian king Cyrus conquered Babylon by diverting the flow of the Euphrates rivers to a nearby swamp. Okay, so he, he diverted them. Then he lowered the level of the river so his troop marched through the water under the river gates and stay, they would still have not been able to enter the bronze gates with the inner walls unless they had been inexplicably unlocked. On gaining access to the inside of the city, they quickly subdued it and they put the king to death thus ending the short reign of the Babylon over then the known world. Cyrus gave the rulership, listen, to his uncle Darius out of respect for his seniority, but Darius only ruled for two years, and then he died at the age of 64. Your attention, please. Here's what happened. Okay, All of a sudden, the Euphrates River is being dammed up, and they dammed it up to a nearby swamp, and now the they came marching in. Okay, so they got through everything else, right? They came, nobody could see them. They're through the river, but inexplicably, well, we know who that was. That was the Lord, was he not? He unlocked the gates. They walked in the gates, and it was done. Okay, think about this. On this side of the fence, here he is partying. Have a g-. Right, all of that's going on, drunk and everything else. While the meantime... Prophetically, there's coming through. Here they come. Here they come. Here they come. So what happens? Verse 31. Really simple. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay, so what happened? Cyrus comes in, but he gives the kingdom over to who? Darius. Darius is 62 years old. Okay? Darius the Mede receives the kingdom. There you go. Darius was a sub-king under Cyrus the Persian, and he's referred to in secular history as Gubaru. Gubaru, G-U-B-A-R-U. That's If you look at it in secular history, that's who he is. Now, listen, I want to chat about two specific things we see here in Scripture. You go, what's that, Pastor? Let's talk about the judgment we see in part two, Belshazzar's pride. Okay, let's learn from him. In case you haven't noticed by now, King Belshazzar, before the night's over, is slain by the Persian armies. 
judgment for Babylon and for Belshazzar. The death of the city and a king. You understand that. This is not just, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna wipe them out. So here's what I'm thinking. You and I are new covenant people. So when we walk in excessive pride, like Nebuchadnezzar and like Belshazzar, we really don't die because we're under grace. You go, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. Why? Because Jesus took our punishment and the judgment on the cross. But let's talk about how pride kills other things in our lives. Let me just give you two ways that pride can ruin your life. You go, how so? Number one, pride makes us self-conscious. When we think so highly of ourselves, we tend to protect our self-assigned status rather than to strive for something better. This is pride. Pride forces us to focus on the downside instead of the upside, no matter how significant. What if I failed and everyone saw me? The prideful knows that they have a long way to fall and their perch is dry rotted. Prideful people are birds. Making them feel like constant danger of falling, it's why if you challenge a prideful person, even a little, they will viciously defend themselves. They're scared of their card house will fall apart. Pride. As a matter of fact, Sunday, what did we talk about? We talked about what a Christian looks like, how a Christian should behave. And the first thing we saw is that we needed to be humble. We need to walk in humility. We need to esteem others higher than ourselves. That's what God has called us to do. We need to be thinking of others, loving others, esteeming them higher. That's humility. Because God has done all of these things in our lives. He's blessed us. He's fitted us in the position in Christ. And he's, he's, we, we're ready already in heaven. We have a home there. This is amazing. We don't have to pay taxes. This is cool. This is all good. He says, because of all this, he says, you should walk in how? In humility. Well, what's the opposite of humility? Being prideful. Being prideful. And, 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 and again, think about that. It makes us self-conscious of everything. And the moment someone tries to correct us, our pride steps in and we're like, no, I'm not that. And, and instead of lowing and growing, listen, pride makes you somebody that you're really not. And when you live with years and years and years of pride, guess what happens? You don't know who you are anymore because you're so afraid. Number two, pride is to relationships as cyanide is to health. Pride is to relationships as cyanide is to health. How so? Well, a pride contest has no winner because nobody likes the winner. Humans don't respond well to being put down. And pride gives others that feeling with its better-than-you implications. Humility has the opposite effect. If you, as, may, as amazing as you are, put yourselves up above yourself, you, they feel good whenever they're around you. They actually like you. Now, let me say this. Many relationship issues are caused by pride. Can I get an Amen. If you can admit you're wrong, it's your pride telling you, if you can't admit you're wrong, it's your pride telling you to win the argument. If you take an all or nothing stance, it's because giving any credit to others hurts your pride. If you have a lot of pride, you might even refuse to communicate which is the worst relationship blunder a person can make. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. I want to go back to this because, because here's the thing. If people, if we can't admit when we're wrong, it's our pride telling us to win the argument at all costs. 
And that's not what a believer should be. A believer should be and be able to say, when he's wrong, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but much more than that. Why? Because a lot of times, let me just say this, church, God has called us to ask for forgiveness for when we've offended somebody. Come on, someone. Why? Because it's easy for me to go to Pastor Soph when I've offended him and say, I'm sorry. Well, sorry for what? Well, I'm sorry for whatever I did. But he, I'm not asking him to forgive me. I'm just sorrowful. that. And so, and so again, think about this. When I don't want to admit I'm wrong, then I'm prideful. Then I'm going to win the argument. And we're going to argue all the time because... And can you imagine two pride-filled people in a relationship, in a marriage, not willing to admit? See, it's our pride that wants to destroy relationships. Pride alters communication and connection. When you put yourself on a pedestal, it makes it difficult for anyone to get close to you. Your ability to be vulnerable, which is the primary way to show trust to each other, will be compromised. See, pride and vulnerability can't coexist. If I show you my weakness, then my pride takes a back seat, and I've just shown you my imperfection. That's why, church, listen, that's why it's so important that the shepherd in your life be real and be able to show your weakness. When, when the people in your life are able to come and say, hey, pray for me, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. Oh, I'm feeling really depressed this week. Well, you can't be depressed. You're the pastor. You're in the Bible the whole time. Are you kidding me? What's... No, no, no. It's showing weakness. Why? Here's why. Because then pride takes a back seat, and I can have true friends pray for me and say, hey, man, I understand. Let me pray for you. It doesn't make us less of any person. It doesn't make us less of any Christian. But pride doesn't get in the way to block communication with people we really love. Why? Because listen to me. Pride is an illusion of perfection. And we tell ourselves, and we're not perfect. And we're not perfect. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Listen, watch out. Pride presents itself as something positive, but underneath it's pretty veiled. It's an ugly way to live in a nasty, hidden consequence. And the problem that we want to learn tonight is Belshazzar found out what pride did. You see, instead of being a good king, he was a foolish king, and it cost him his life. But my question to you, church, is what has pride killed in your life that you've allowed it to? It kills communication. And communication is the key with our spouses. We have to be able to communicate. You know that. We have to be able to open up without judgment. Say, hey, this is how I feel. This is what's going on in my heart. This is what's happening. Sometimes pride keeps us going, well, I don't know what's going on. But no, 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 no. Listen, listen. Pride is an illusion of perfection that we tell ourselves. We don't want pride. What else can we learn from Belshazzar? Well, pride will keep us from coming to Jesus. Pride will keep us from, we learned that on, on Wednesday, on, on Sunday. Pride keeps us, it, pride is always going to keep you. Why? Because, because you've told yourself you're a self-made man, you're a self-made woman, you don't need anybody. You've, pulled, you've done it all yourselves your whole life. You got where you got without the Lord. And, and so now when it says, hey, somebody, you need Jesus, you go, I don't need Jesus, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And pride keeps people from coming to Jesus. You see, there'll be many people who will be listening to this sermon even after we're gone that might be going, no, 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 I don't, I don't know if I really believe that guy. I don't know, I understand. I'm okay, I'm good, whatever it might be. And yet it's pride that's keeping them from saying yes to the Lord because many will sit in auditoriums across churches across the world and they'll sit there and they'll hear a message and the Lord will begin to knock on their heart and begin to convict them of their sin and they'll say no to Jesus because, man, my life will change and I don't want my life to change. 
because I think I've had it pretty good so far, and I think I'm... That's what pride does. Pride keeps us from coming to Jesus. Pride makes us think that we're better than we are, bigger than we are, and we're not. And I, I want to learn from Belshazzar. Why? Because a wise man learns from his mistakes, but can we learn from this foolish king? Absolutely. So what do we have to do? Death to pride. We have to come to the place where we have to crucify that pride. Some of us have the gift of pride. We don't have to work it up. This is who we are. This is how I was brought up. I'm a, and we have to crucify it. Lord, crucify the pride. Help me to walk in humility. Help me not to think the color of my skin or my education, my socioeconomics, whatever it might be. Help me to think, not think of those things, but think in terms of I need to put others, uh, we cannot judge other people. But we need to love people back to life. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, we need to love them back to life. I think of my friend Mike Shaw. Mike Shaw has moved to Iowa. This is his first night there. But you got to understand, Mike Shaw was a baby bird when I first reached out to him that was wounded and broken. And instead of judging him and going, hey, dude, what's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? You should, you know better. You've been in churches. You know more Bible. Da, 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 da. You know what we did, church? We loved him to the place where now we could let him go. And he can fly and be free. That's the goal. But we have a lot of Mike Shaws out there. And we got to love them, but pride keeps us from doing that because, oh, well, I don't know. No, we got to love them. And they're messy and they're dirty and they're awful and, and it's hard and it takes a commitment. But that's what God has called us to do. But the, but the burden is not on just one person. You see, if the body of Christ would come together and go, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my prayer. I'm going to love them back to life. And you do that. And you do that. And you do that. And you do that. Man, we can, we can impact the community. And it's not just one person. It should never be one person with a counseling load. Oh, I've got to talk to this person. I got to talk to these people. I got to talk to these people. The Bible says that we need to speak the truth in love. And sometimes speaking the truth in love is going directly to the heart. Even though you love them and it's not something they... Oh, you know what? They're about to fall off a cliff and you want to encourage them. Oh, that's okay. You're a good, you're a good jumper. Go. That's not what we should do. We have to speak the truth in love. Don't get too close to that cliff. You're going to fall and die. Well, judge not lest you be judged. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you right now. These are the consequences. Please listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me, church. It's going to take relationships. It's going to take relationships for us to get out and make relationships with people. And it's uncomfortable. We've got to make relationships with people other than we love. Why? Because it's easy to love people we love. It's easy. I love you. This is great. I'll hang out with you all day long. I love you. But God wants us to go out and he wants us to make relationships. Why? Because it's in the relationship where then... That new life is birth. You see, I can't go to a stranger and say, hey, you need to repent. You need to turn your life around. He's going to look at me and go, who are you? What do you care about my life? Why? Because rules without a relationship equals rebellion. Rules without a relationship. But a relationship without rules equals chaos. Think about that. What else can we learn from Belshazzar? The Lord is coming back soon. I'm not telling you that you and I have to be like the Essenes and we're going to come up and we're going to gather all our goods and we're going to go up to a mountain and we're going to hang out and we're going to wait for the Lord Jesus to come until we run out of food. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying though is be prepared for the battle. What are you doing today to prepare for the battle? Spiritually speaking, Paul says you need to strengthen the inner man. You need to strengthen your spirit. You need to be in God's word. You need to be praying with conviction. You need to be praying with power. You need to be hanging out with believers. You need to be encouraging each other. You need to be listening to worship music. Wait, time out. You're being legalistic. I like all kinds of music. I'm telling you, that's what strengthens the inner man. 
I'm telling you, that's what strengthens the inner man. How so? Well, listen, you can listen to any kind of music. I love listening to the 80s music, but you know what the 80s does? It takes me back to a place that doesn't strengthen the inner man. It takes me back to my past. Oh, yeah, I really like that. But it's not strengthening me in my walk with God. Come on, somebody. Music is great, don't get me wrong, but if I'm going to strengthen my inner man, I need to be in the Word of God. I need to study the Word of God. I need to obey the Word of God. That's where strength comes from. Strength comes from obedience. Strength comes from going, I'm going to step out in obedience. You see, because we can have Bible study all day long, and we can get a lot of knowledge of God, but until we put it into practice, that strength isn't going to come. We need to strengthen the inner man. We need to have a heart Paul says that, that Christ feels at home in your heart. We need to have a heart where Christ takes off his shoes, comes in, and feels completely at home, looking in your fridge, in your cupboards, at, eating your food. That's, that's, what the, that's how you need to have your heart. My question to you, church, does Christ, the God of the universe, feel that way in your heart? Does he feel, can he go in any room in your heart? Can he go in any room? Does he have full reign? Can he clean out closets if need be? No, 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 Pastor, no. He has all reign of that house, but that closet in the middle, don't let him go in there. That's the closet he wants to go in because that's the closet that's keeping us in bondage. Can I ask you, what's keeping you in bondage tonight? Do you understand? Do you understand that Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of God dwells inside you? All the attributes. All the attributes. Wow. Grace. Mercy. Patience? Do you have patience? I don't have patience. Do you have patience? All the attributes of God. Why? Because that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to be patient with one another. Bearing one another. Patience. Patience. I picture in my mind all of us running a race. And some of us are pretty fast runners. Some of us can't run at all. You know what I'm talking about? They just don't like to run, not going to run, but they're going to run the race. That means they're going to... And so patience means you're going to stand at the finish line and you're going to encourage people to... Come on. You're not going to be at the finish line going... Looking at your watch going, come on. Why? Because patience says, I'm going to... Come on. I know you're a little slower than me. That's okay. You know what patience is? Patience says, listen, I'm going to go back and I'm going to walk with you because I want to make sure you cross the finish line. You see, pride says, I'm here. Mm, I'm in. I don't care what anybody says. I'm here. Y'all do what you want to do. No, he goes, and you guys seen, you've seen those videos where runners will fall and somebody will stop and pick them up and they'll walk with them. Some of us have been hurt on the run. Some of us have twisted an ankle. Some of us have wounded. And it's our job to go back and lift him up and walk through the finish line. Come on. Come on. Pastor, I don't want to do that. It's messy. It is messy. It's messy. Got to get him through. That's what believers do. That's what God has called us to do. So I don't want to make the same mistakes Belshazzar makes. I want to learn from those. So as we close our study tonight, let me remind you, Darius has come in. He's under the leadership of who? His nephew, Cyrus. Uncle, you take that. You had seniority. Um, think about this. Think about this, and I'll leave you with this. I want you to see how this um, parallels Cyrus to Jesus. Okay? So, so Cyrus is the leader, but he's giving Babylon to uh, Darius. But let me, see, let me show you how the, the parallels are. Okay, Here's what blows my mind. You remember in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, the, Lord, the word of God declares, When I say of Cyrus, this is the Lord speaking, he is my shepherd, 
he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. Do you guys see that? I want to give you some parallels to Cyrus and Jesus. Amazing parallels. How so? If you're taking note, jot this down. The name Cyrus means son, S-U-N. Right? And Jesus in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, is called the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Not the S-O-N of righteousness. Just a parallel. Just a parallel. What does the name Cyrus mean? Okay? Did you know at Cyrus's birth, okay, uh, the attempt by the reigning king was to destroy him? Well, you go, yeah, that's what happened to Jesus. At Jesus' birth, the attempt by the reigning king tried to destroy him. Right? Cyrus was named 150 years was before his birth. God named Jesus 700 years before his birth. You can jot this down, Isaiah 9, 6. 700 years, he says that. Number four, he was raised in righteousness, Isaiah 43, 45, and 13. He was a righteous man, while Jesus Christ was made unto us righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30, and he was a righteous man, Luke 23, verse 47. Cyrus, in Isaiah 41.25, he shall call upon my name. Well, throughout the life of Jesus and his ministry, he called upon the name of God in prayer. And as a matter of fact, in Matthew 6.9, he says, Our Father, which art in heaven. Isaiah 45, verse 13, he says, Cyrus, I will direct his ways whose right hand I have held. Isaiah 45, verse 1. I seek the will of the Father, Jesus said, who has sent me. John 5, 30. I will hold thy names, thy Christ's hand. Isaiah 42, 6. Number seven. Thus saith the Lord, he is anointed to Cyrus. Isaiah 45, verse 1. In John 1.41, it says, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ, the Anointed One. What a great parallel. Number eight. He says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd. Isaiah 44.28. Jesus said in John 10.11, I am the good shepherd. The, sh- the great shepherd in Hebrews 13.20. And in 1 Peter 5.4, He says, I'm the chief shepherd. Number nine, Cyrus was officially titled, check this out, King of Kings. But Jesus will be titled King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for just two verses and how you blessed us, how your word is true. Father, we take your word at face value. We believe it from Genesis to Revelation. Every jot, every tittle, every dotted I, every comma, we believe in your word. And Father, your word says, God, that you um, took all of our sicknesses and all of our beatings and all that's going on, and so that's why we pray for healing. Father, we pray for relationships, God. We pray for marriages, God, that are under attack. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place like never before. Father, we're not only talking about our sanctuary. We're talking about our city, that the Holy Spirit would fall afresh on our city. And that, Lord, we would be great instruments of great vessels of worship to bring as many people into the kingdom. Lord, our goal, with your help and the power of your Holy Spirit, is to depopulate hell and populate heaven. We can only do it in the realm we're in, Lord, and that's earth. So God, bless this podcast, bless this teaching, bless our radio ministry, bless whatever avenue that we need to get the gospel to people. But Lord, it's your spirit that opens up their heart, that illuminates their heart to see their need for you. Father, I can't talk anyone into Christ because somebody can talk them out of it. But I'm saying if you'll just use us, if we make ourselves available to you, God, what a wonderful, wondrous thing you could do. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the book of Daniel. We're so excited for what you want to tell us next week, God. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that we would all be saved, we would open up our heart, Father, that we would recommit our lives to you, whatever it takes, God, but we would not leave this place without a renewed, refreshed vision, a new walk in you. Because we're going to learn from our mistakes. I don't want to go down that path anymore. I want to stay eyes focused on you. So we love you, we love you, we love you, in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.